Thank you very much. What more could one ask for a, a crescent and a ballerina welcome all rolled into one? Great to be with you tonight and to share in the service. Uh, thank you for coming, and we look forward to uh, the Lord's blessing. He has blessed us already through the singing and has reminded us of the great love of God, a love that reaches us even though we could never merit or deserve it. So great to be with you and great to share in this uh, opening uh, session of uh, the later chapters of Second Samuel and also the later years of King David. The st story before us tonight is the story of Absalom's rebellion. It covers three chapters and eight verses altogether. And if I was to read them, I wouldn't have any time left. So I will be reading a short introduction to it, and then we will fill out the story as we go along. But it's a brilliant story and uh, from the Old Testament, uh, full of uh, uh, intrigue, a story with war, spies, and all sorts of emotions going on such as love and justice and the clash of interests that we have here. So a, a wonderful story. But remember this, as we look at this, there, there's something else we need to remember. And that's what Paul wrote about in Romans 15 verse 4. He said, whenever you read the things that happened beforehand, remember they are there for our encouragement. So we don't just want to look at an old story tonight from 3,000 years ago, because God's Word is alive. When we say it's inspired, we mean that God breathes through it. So God's Word has got great things to tell us from the past, but they are relevant for you and me tonight, and we don't want to spend so long in this story that we miss what it has to say to you. And I trust that tonight, before we leave, that God will have said something to each and every one of us through His Word. And with that, we start. Let's read together the uh, first few verses of 2 Samuel chapter 15. Absalom has murdered his brother. He's been in exile for a couple of years. He's been back in Jerusalem a long time before seeing King David, but he has murder on his hands. He murdered his brother Amnon. And now he's quite prepared to murder his father as well. So this is what he did while back in Jerusalem after his exile. Second Samuel 15 verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. The gate was where people came in or out of the city. Everybody passed through the gate if you were going in or out. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call and, uh, and uh, to him and say, from what city uh, are you? And the person would say, your servant is of such and such a city uh, and from such and such a tribe in Israel. Absalom would say to him, see, 
your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. So Absalom would say, oh, that I, oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment, and Absalom stole the hearts of the people, of all the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, uh, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, you should all say, Absalom is king at Hebron. Conspiracy, treachery, a coup d'etat. This is this. We will end our reading there, and we will fill in the rest of the story as we go along. First of all, I'm sure you probably know the story, but let's just remind you of some of the main characters first before we look at the story itself. Uh, first of all, the main characters in the story, uh, first of all, Absalom, whom we've heard about, of a very handsome and a well-respected man, but with a hidden agenda. He had a lot of pride. It even had an image, a pillar made for himself. And he, uh, he certainly did his best to say to all the people who came to Jerusalem who had a complaint, you know, people would come with an issue. And King David was not really on top of the problems that his government faced. And people would spend a long time, if they had a complaint against someone, it would take weeks to hear their problem. And the king had not it organized properly. So Absalom would say to people, where, where are you from? And what's your problem? If only I was king, you've got a very good point there. If only I was king, I would sort it out for you. And he spent years winning all the people to himself. And David was totally ignorant of it all. And gradually the rebellion was gathering, bit by bit, as he said, I would be a better king than my father. And so, that's Absalom. At the end of the story, of course, after the rebellion, he is killed at the end of our story. But let's not go that far just yet. The second person that you need to be aware of is a man who's not so well known called Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a very wise counselor, and we'll hear a little bit about him later. Uh, he had been David's counselor and was considered so very wise that he was just the best person if you needed advice. And uh, yet, Ahithophel was part of the rebellion. 
Now, if you read the commentaries on this, you will read that he was Bathsheba's grandfather. And some suggest that's why. Um, the reason people say that is he had a son uh, who had uh, the same name. His son had the same name as Bathsheba's father. So people say he was her grandfather. Uh, I rather doubt that because a lot of people had the same name and the Bible never says it was the same person. And why would he, you know, by rebelling against her husband, David, he was putting her, the life of Bathsheba in danger. So, you know, you'll read it in nearly every commentary, but don't believe it. It's possible, but I think that Ahithophel had other reasons for rebelling, and we'll hear about them later on. But a very wise man, why would a wise man try to get rid of King David? We'll see. Shimei, well, you'll hear about him next week. So I'll not take away the, uh, the, 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 that story. He was a man who cursed David as he left Jerusalem. And he will be in the story of the return from Jerusalem. Then David. David, man who had done so much, who had written great psalms, who had been so close to God, a man who was a man of prayer. And yet, in this story, things go badly wrong. Joab. Joab was a wily character. Not somebody you could really trust. A, a great supporter of David. But he didn't particularly care about how he got things done. If somebody got in his way, they could end up dead, if you know what I mean. And that happened on quite a few occasions. And David does never seem able to control him. So somebody to look out for. And then finally, Hushai. Hushai was an elderly counselor. He always lived in the shadow of Ahithophel, because Ahithophel always seemed to give the best advice. But Hushai, in this case, was still on David's side. And David sent him back to Jerusalem as a spy. I told you this was a great story with everything in it, including Hushai, the spy. And David knew that he was in trouble when his great advisor changed sides. And so he just said to Hushai, look, don't try to do anything fancy. Just whatever Ahithophel says, you say the opposite. That'll be fine. So that's the story set for the drama of the rebellion of Absalom. Absalom, we read about early there in the chapter that we read and verse 2. It says that Absalom used to rise early. Now, the Bible doesn't waste words, and it doesn't tell you things that are not important. So when the Bible says that Absalom rose early, it's not telling you something about his sleeping habits. It's not telling you that he had a problem sleeping, he rose early. It's telling you about the thing that he cared most about. There are many, many times in the Bible when it says that somebody rose early, and it's never unimportant. Do you remember the story when God told Abraham to offer Isaac? 
Well, to make sure that the Bible tells us, just to make the point that Abraham didn't for one minute doubt God's word, it says Abraham rose early to do the will of God. Abraham did that, Isaac rose early, Jacob rose early. It mentions Gideon as well, and um, Joshua, and Jesus himself. All of them rose early to do the will of God. But this man rose early to promote himself. Rising early was his priority. It was the thing that motivated him. It was the thing that gave him the reason for living, basically. And of course, it's always a a challenge to us when we read about that in the Bible, because the, the Bible is also saying, what do you rise early to do? What what is the thing that motivates you in life? What is the first thing in your mind when you waken in the morning? Jewish custom is that the minute you waken, you're supposed to say a little prayer. And that little prayer is really to thank God for a new day and to thank God for giving you the opportunity to live another day. Uh, And it finishes with, great is your faithfulness. Isn't that a good example to follow? Because sometimes, you know, with all the things we face in life, our interest in God's things can wane a bit. Sometimes we feel really enthusiastic in our worship of the Lord, and then other times life just goes on, things get on top of us, and it can be rather everything else gets the priority and God is put into the back room of our lives. So it's good to remember that we're encouraged in the Bible to rise early, not to promote ourselves. And it's a, I'm not suggesting you all try to learn Hebrew to say the Jewish prayer, although I could teach it to you. But anyway, that's not what I mean. But I think that to awaken with your awakening thoughts being, great is your faithfulness, thank you for a new day, is something that would maybe be better than awakening. Oh no, all the problems I face today. Maybe just take a little while to thank God for a new day instead of immediately worrying about all the problems you face. Wouldn't it be a good thing? So waken up and say, Lord, thank you for a new day. Great is your faithfulness. That's not what Absalom did. He wakened up with the thought, how can I get rid of King David today? What can I do? It was a bid for popularity. Rising early was an expression of energy and priority and motivation in the Bible. And then he made promises He did not intend to keep all this idea if I was king, what I would do. Well, you've you've seen people making promises before, haven't you? Uh, uh, Forgive the political thing, but I remember somebody called Liz Trust making the most wonderful promises, and she became prime minister, but not for long. Why? Because she made promises she couldn't keep. And Absalom made promises he did not intend to keep. Well, you know where I'm going with this. 
people make promises they can't keep, but when God makes a promise, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. He's never broken a promise that He's ever made. Quite different from human beings. So at Hebron, there's the vineyards of Hebron today. At Hebron, where King David was once crowned, Absalom has himself crowned king of Israel. And uh, what a shock it was to King David. Not a shock to anybody else, just he seemed to be a bit out of touch. And uh, when he heard it, it was a complete shock. David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. So this great King David, who had faced Goliath, who had faced the giant, who had done the impossible, who had shown people how faith in God could bring the giant tumbling down, he's running. All he can do now is run. To save himself and to save other people, the great king runs. Why? Why? Why, why, why has this happened? Well, it's very simple. He wasn't prepared for an attack. He wasn't as close to God as he used to be. And he wasn't prepared for an attack. He wasn't ready, and he had to run. He was a great warrior. Once he got the chance, he soon organized his men, but, but at this stage... He just wasn't ready. He wasn't expecting anybody to attack him. Let's take that into the New Testament and say, has that anything to say to us? Peter tells us that as Christians, we're like that. We have an enemy. Peter says he's, he goes about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, Paul talks about the, the fiery darts of the wicked one. And you know, as Christians, we sometimes forget that we have an enemy. And uh, we can say to King David, how foolish not to be expecting an attack. But you know, as Christians, it's very foolish if you're not expecting an attack. People sometimes say, you know, I, I'm faced with doubts at the minute. I just wasn't expecting that. That's a fiery dart. He's firing them at you and me because he's the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we belong to him, we need to be prepared for an attack. Or else those fiery darts of the wicked one will hit us straight on and fill us with doubts and fears and worries about tomorrow and anxieties. He will even get us to doubt our salvation. So we must be ready for an attack. And the Bible tells you exactly how to do it. Read Ephesians 6. Paul says, get yourself armed up. Get yourself ready 
so that when the devil comes, you've got the shield of faith, and when he fires that arrow of doubt at you, you just put up the shield of faith, and you say, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's on my side. Or he says, uh, you could yield the sword against him, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul says, get yourself armed. Get yourself ready for an attack. And how do you do that? Keep in touch with the great commander. Keeping in touch by using the Word of God, by exercising your faith each day, by not letting day slip after day without reading God's Word and praying to Him. Keep in touch. Do you know David's problem? It got out of touch. It got out of touch with reality. And if we get out of touch with God, we will leave the enemy an opening. So keep that shield of faith held high. Keep that sword well sharpened by having a plan to read God's Word each day. You, you, you will have plenty of choice if you look for plans. It might be somebody who wants to read the Bible in a year. Uh, I find that tricky. I think it's better to, you, you, you know, you're, you're such a hurry to get your bit done for the day that you can skip over things that God is saying to you. Just read enough to get a message from God and to pray to Him. Be in touch. Be well armed because the battle's on. Jesus is coming soon and the battle's on. And, and, and you should be expecting. Don't be surprised by those times when you feel I've got no faith. Praise God because you are one of His if you're under that sort of attack. Now then, happy with that. So that's me going back to my lecturing days. That was always something I always said to make sure people were awake. I say, happy with that. And I said it often enough that eventually they would answer, sarcastically, ecstatic, or something like that. They did a t-shirt for me once with everybody happy in the front and ecstatic in the back. I was embarrassed to wear it because they couldn't spell ecstatic. <laughs> so David fled. He wasn't ready for an attack. Then what about Ahithophel? In those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the Word of God. In other words, if God wasn't available and you needed an answer, you could ask Ahithophel and you'd probably get the same answer. He was considered the, the best counselor around. And yet he chose to support Absalom. And when Absalom entered Jerusalem, Ahithophel, the great counselor, stood before him and he said, this is what you are to do tonight. This is what you're to do tonight to get this over with. Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me, you will notice who is his priority here, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue. I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him when he is weary and discouraged. I will throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. There's an ambitious man. 
There's a man who keeps saying, I and me. There's a man that Absalom would have had, would have had trouble controlling. He wanted the glory for himself. Old Ahushai was told to say the opposite. So he says, no, 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 to Absalom. Don't let him get all the glory. My counsel is that you wait until you get a very impressive army with you at the head of it. And you go to battle. You get the glory. Go to battle in person. Was that good advice? No, the previous advice was better. Ahitophel strike tonight, but it was giving glory to Ahitophel. Ahitophel was now going to be the top man in the country, the man who'd won the victory. But Hushai says, wait. And of course, he did wait and gave David time to organize himself. So, the spy, Hushai, his advice was taken. So was it luck? Was David just lucky to escape? Well, no, the Bible says no. The Bible never says that somebody's lucky. It says rather, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better. Now, you know it wasn't better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. The Lord was in it all. It wasn't just lucky that Hushai's advice got taken. It was the Lord. It was something called the providence of God. And, uh, you know, I think this is a very encouraging theme that you get through the Bible, is that whatever you are facing, whatever I am facing tonight, no matter what struggles you have or what worries you have, there is a God who knows all about it, and He cares about you. You watch those little birds in the garden, how fragile they look, and yet they survive that harsh winter. And Jesus said, not one of those sparrows falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing it. I find that very encouraging. His eye is on the sparrow. God has a plan. God had a plan for King David. God had a greater plan for King David than he ever realized, in that one day the Messiah would come and he would be the lion of the tribe of Judah and he would be King David's greater son. God had a plan and Absalom had no chance of breaking God's plan. God knew what he was doing. And you know, God knows what he's doing with me. And he knows what he's doing with you. Yes, I know we have faced horrendous times over these past few months and years. Christians have faced the same problems as everybody else. But we know that there's a God who has a plan in it all and that his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I can find great encouragement tonight because we don't face less problems because we're Christians. But we know one who's in control and he's looking after you and he's looking after me and if you belong to him, 
you can have great belief here tonight with courage. The future is not known to you, and the future is not known to me, but it's known to him. And sometimes you can face the future with great worry. Sometimes the unknown can be tremendously difficult to cope with. But he knows. He knows the future. And I and you, we are in his hand. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Now we, as we come towards the end, uh, uh, just one more point to look at here. David's love for Absalom. In spite of all Absalom's rebellion, he wanted to kill his dad. There was no hiding that. He would have killed Solomon as well. He didn't care. But David never stopped loving him. And whenever David sent the men out to battle, they told him, don't you go into battle, because if you're killed, everything's lost. So you stay, don't go into battle. So the king ordered his generals, Joab, Abishai, and Itai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. That was love. That really was love. In spite of everything that Absalom had done, David still loved him. And in the end, when Absalom was killed, David went into deep mourning Oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son Absalom, I wish I could have died for you. He never stopped loving. However, Joab, the general, this ruthless guy, had he heard David saying, spare Absalom's life? Yes. And so he killed Absalom. He was disobedient, he was ruthless, and he showed justice without mercy. He'd had enough of Absalom, his cousin, I think. They're all very closely related. Uh, the, uh, his mother was David's half-sister. There's a lot of interrelationships there. The, you sons of Zeruiah, uh, Joab, Abishai, they were sons of David's half-sister. But that's another story. Let's keep to the point here. Is that, that David loved him with a powerful emotional, deep love that nothing could separate them from. Even Absalom's rebellion couldn't separate him from the love of his father. Joab went for justice, and he killed Absalom against David's wishes. He was going for justice, not love. So these two things were clashing. The love of David and the justice of Joab. And you know, that's the same sort of contrast that you get in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, as we were singing about tonight, is a God of love. His love knows no bounds. God so loved the world. O Ephraim, how much have I loved you? He says in the God, all through the Bible, God is a God of love, just as David loved his son. Even though we have all sinned and rebelled, like Absalom, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all done enough for God to cast us off forever. 
But he never stopped loving us, just as David didn't stop loving Absalom. But then the, the other side of the story is that God is a God of justice. He cannot look on sin without allowance. Sin, sin has ruined our world. Corruption, hate, murder, war, it has ruined our world. And so God cannot allow sin into heaven. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. He must punish sin. And just as the tension between David and Joab, so in the heart of God, there was a, a tension because God loves you and me, but God must punish sin. And where does this confrontation between love and justice take us in the New Testament. Just as David never stopped loving Absalom, Joab wanted justice, but love and justice meet at the cross. God punished sin in the person of his son who died for you and for me. And so tonight, if, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, remember that we are born with a, a, a tremendous debt, a debt of rebellion against the living God. We are born sinners. We are born outside of God. And we deserve to be separated from Him for all eternity. That's how we're born. But God doesn't stop loving us. And we cannot pay the price for our sins ourselves. But when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore that burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone so that you and I would never have to face the wrath of God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he took the wrath of God that we deserved. And all we need to do tonight is to come as humble sinners and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the price that I could never pay. Please come into my heart and life and make me a good soldier of yours today. You can do that this very night. You can come humbly to him, repent of your sins, and accept the Savior into your life. If you do belong to him, well then tonight we can be encouraged through this message because Jesus Christ has borne the price that we will never have to pay. You know, just to finish tonight, I want to do uh, just one little bit of Hebrew just one wee bit. That is, Absalom's name was Av Shalom. Av Shalom. Av means father. You know, Abba father. Av, his name was father of peace. But he was a man of war. He didn't live up to his name particularly well, did he? There was no Shalom in Absalom. But we are, if we have trusted the Lord Jesus, we have a Savior who can bring peace 
that the world knows nothing about. And tonight, as we worship him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, we can leave here with a new spring in our step, knowing that we can leave the future in his hands and know his peace, because he gives peace not as the world gives. How does the world give peace? Well, the world gives peace by force. Look at this. Do you know what those guys are? They're peacemakers. Do you know what that is? It's a peacemaker, a tank. That's how the world brings peace, by force. Jesus brings peace by the weakness of the cross. It looked as if he was totally defeated. It looked as if he was dying in weakness. But from that weak death, there came the glorious resurrection, and he's alive tonight, and he can bring real peace into troubled hearts. When we put our faith in him, know that we're living in the victory. When you're living like that, you know that he's with you, and as you leave tonight, that you do not leave alone, but that God walks with you, and he says, I will never leave you, and if he lives in your heart, you can have peace about whatever tomorrow holds, because he says, my peace I give unto you. We can leave tonight with confidence in the living God, knowing that he who died for us has made peace with God. We can leave tonight knowing that we have peace with the living God, and I'll never face the consequences of my sins, because Jesus did it for me. Amen.